Good evening and welcome to Cosmic Habit Force, the podcast. Thanks for popping in. I'm your host, Ron Mazur. Tonight's going to be an awesome, awesome show. I mean, I'm just, I'm feeling so much energy tonight. You know, if you've noticed, it's been a full moon last couple of days and that full moon is so magnetic if you can just get in touch with the nature that's around you it's right tonight is a special night we're going to be playing uh you know i've done lots of talking over the last couple of days and talking about uh, the force which has so many different names to it. Um, God, Allah, Buddha, I mean, whatever you want to call it, as long as it brings peace to your conscious and love to your subconscious. One is the heart, one is the mind, the male, the female. It's always going to be that dual consciousness you know earlier we were talking about and again just just think about this for for a minute how a great big huge oak tree turns into an oak tree from an acorn that little acorn becomes this like hundred foot monster just a a glory of nature. How can you just walk by that and not pay any attention? Absolutely everything that we ingest in this world, everything that we do, everything that we are came from seed. So did we. You know, now that I think about it, not too many seeds fail. The acorn goes in, nature plays her role, and here comes the the tree. It's the same with a rose or an orange or anything else. It knows what it's supposed to be. Do we know what we're supposed to be? That's a, a big question. Hopefully it can be answered by Meredith Young Sowers. 
with a personal journey into my own background because so many people have asked questions about the nature of medical intuition, about what it is to be a medical intuitive. And I would like to demythologize a lot of the information and a lot of the ideas that surround this skill. What I've learned in my work is that the common ingredient in every single dysfunction is an issue of power. And so that's going to be the common word I'm going to repeat again and again and again. And what I now realize is that our physical body is a construction of spiritual power and that we are each of us scheduled to evolve through levels, stages of empowerment. And our body is a complete reflection of exactly what lessons we learn and when. So having said that, I'm going to jump back to my introduction. I began to work with medical intuition in 1982-83. I moved to New Hampshire to start a publishing company with two colleagues, a publishing company called Still Point. At that time, I had finished my graduate work, and my graduate work was in mysticism and schizophrenia. And I was a journalist. And when I was writing newspaper articles in Chicago after graduating from college, I kept thinking there's got to be more to life than hog reports. And given my background, which was growing up with nuns, I was fluent in the monastery. The romance people are having with monastic life was something that was my first nature when I was a kid. So that having someone talk Angel 101 to me was ordinary, thank God. And in those early years, I remember thinking there's got to be more to life than this. And I was driving to pick up a friend of mine for dinner, a friend who at the time was a nun. I was in Chicago, my hometown, and I was at the corner of Central and North Avenue. I put the car in park and I said to God, if you don't tell me what you want from me, I will not drive anymore at any time. In fact, prepare to meet me because I'm coming home. Now, the thing is, I didn't mean the necessarily sort of ordinary suicidal thing. I was having an absolute spiritual tantrum. And the thing is, I fully expected an answer and I got one. It never occurred to me that I would not get the vision I was invoking. And in that moment, I saw the graduate school. And you got to understand something, I never had been to this school. I simply went into an altered state, drove right there, exploded into the graduate department and announced to the nuns that the time had come for me to begin my work in theology. And Sister Carol Frances Jagan looked at me and said, okay, okay, all right. And she said, you know, you have to apply. And I said, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. I'll take care of that. And I said, look, if I can't cut it, you're going to know. And I'm the one who's out the 400 bucks per class. So, hey, right. And, you know, Catholics speak finances. So I made this deal with the nunsies and I started my work in theology. Became mesmerized with the study of mysticism and schizophrenia. Why we go mad on our way to becoming empowered. Why madness is essential toward empowerment. Why do we need to go mad? But we do. How come? 
Right. I have never met anybody who has not gone through or will go through madness on their way to becoming healthy or whole. It is inevitable. Now, why is that so? Isn't that a rich question, right? Well, I was captivated by that. And then in 1982, I had an out-of-body experience. It was no big deal. There wasn't a lot of, you know, lights or actions or cameras. I sort of always get low-grade mystical experiences. I never get the sophisticated variety, but I get them. Nevertheless, you don't want to complain, mind you, but, you know, it's not exactly the Neiman Marcus version. However, I knew that my life was different. And I knew that I'd been asked a question, and that was, will I work as a medical intuitive? Those words weren't there, but I knew I knew the way of the non-physical world, and that I was being asked, will you work with us? Translation, will you make the non-physical world your authority over the physical? Now, having just come from studying it academically, as though you can ever study God, oh, spare me that perception now i humbly retort right but i now knew that when you invoke heaven heaven comes but heaven says i'm going to cause you to change the rules the first thing that motivates you is to invoke heaven in order to make your life physically comfortable and heaven has no regard for physical comfort now, back to this. So I then agreed. I said to the gods, you cheat, you play dirty, and I will do this. And it was a very painful agreement because as in keeping with every truth, what you are relinquishing is the illusion that you had any authority over your life to start with. I remember pursuing this running away from it to the point where I ran away to the Finhorn community in Northern Scotland. And I met Eileen Caddy, who has since become someone I have loved dearly for many, many years now. I told her that I wanted to interview her, that I was a journalist. During the course of the interview, I said to her, tell me something, when you heard these voices, did you believe them? Did you believe them? And she looked at me. And Eileen is your quintessential classic British lady. She couldn't make up something if she had to. Dishonesty couldn't fit in her corset. You know what I mean? So she said, my dear, I think you've come here, but not to speak to me. Ooh, that's all I heard. And it was that simple truth that broke me in half. And it was there at Finhorn that I said to God, you win, I'll do this. And that began my life as a medical intuitive. In the early days, I was also a publisher. I moved to a town called Walpole, New Hampshire, and I began to work with two wonderful people. And I didn't put up a sign, medical intuitive. Do you understand how peculiar this is? The part of me that spoke theology and spoke the gods fluently was totally amused that it was operating exactly the way I was told it would spontaneous things happening and whenever i would pray for help along the lines of helping others it was there immediately and for myself it wasn't i thought that was amusing too or so i thought 
I could pick up an illness in people. In the early days, I did not know why you became ill. I had no idea that there was an energetic component to illness. I knew none of this, and I want to emphasize that, that I knew none of it at all. What happened was, in 1985, I was at a conference as a publisher, and I was introduced to a man named Dr. Norman Sheely. And the reason they introduced, I, I, that Norman and I met was, and I want to emphasize, I was invited there as a publisher. No one knew I was a baby medical clairvoyant. And uh, someone said, that doctor over there, Norm Sheely, he's real interesting. He studies people who are medically clairvoyant. Now, come on, right? And I'm in Kansas, where Christ lost his shoe, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, who would ever hear of a medical intuitive in Kansas, right? So I said to him, Dr. Sheely, could I talk to you for a minute? And he said, what do you want? And I said, I, I think I'm one of those people who is medically clairvoyant. And Norm prides himself on not being able to be impressed. Some people pride themselves on money. He wouldn't waste his time there. Rather, it's that he knows everything or he knows someone who knows it before you do. So he says, yeah, well, how good are you? I said, I don't know. He says, can you see a brain tumor? And I said, I, I don't know. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't need anyone to tell me someone's energy is off. I can do that much. He said, how good are you? I said, I don't know. Well, he called me the next month was the first time I did a reading at a distance. I was living in Walpole, New Hampshire. His clinics in Springfield, Missouri. They called up, he would say, I have Mary Smith in my office. She's 30 years old, what, what information do you want? And I said, I don't know, let's just start with that. And instantaneously impressions began. And the impressions had to do with why she was losing power in my language today why she was losing power, to whom she was losing power, and what the cost of it was to her biologically. In the early days, I could say to Norm, the throat area feels like concrete. That began to be my image, my symbol for cancer. The only reason I knew that I must be doing a good job is because Norm called back. He never ever said, oh, wow, and that was a gift because it kept me detached from the outcome and all of my ambition and all of my high voltage desire to accomplish anything continued to pour into the publishing company versus becoming a medical intuitive Do you understand the gift in this if i can teach you a million things simultaneously one of the truths is that the image of the birth in the manger, I will frequently and always refer to scriptural images, whether they're in the Vedic scriptures, the Judaic, the Christian, it matters not. I like images that convey truth. The image of the birth in the manger is a high voltage image that I would ask you to consider and hold in your heart that when something of great importance is given to you, it is always going to be born humbly you will think it looks like it has no power. When something looks like it has no power, get on your knees in front of it. All right? The gods never take a room at the Ritz. So what happened was that as Norm and I began to work with this skill, 
The only reason I knew that I must have some leverage of talent was that he would call back. And it got to the point where, just picture this, I would be in my office, I would be reading manuscripts, I was the editor at the publishing company, the phone would ring, I'd prop it in my neck, and I'd, yeah, Norman, he'd say, uh, Mary Jones, age 30, and I'd say, leukemia coming in, da-da-da-da-da-da, translation, can't reconcile her divorce, got divorced, had two abortions when she was 24, gotcha, call you back, bingo. That was the way our readings would go. And I only figured they must be good because he phoned back. Now, the thing that also happened is simultaneously, I was seeing people privately. They would come to the publishing company. And so from around 3.30 on, I did private readings. And I found this to be one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. One, I don't have the personality of a therapist or a healer. Two, I don't have the personality of a therapist or a healer. And three, I don't have the personality, right? So when somebody wants to come up to me and say, Carolyn, why is my life falling apart? And expect me to have an answer and explain the mind of God when my life is falling apart. <laughs> this is not the role I wanted in this planet. So it was driving me nuts. And I would do my readings before somebody would get there and... I felt like I was living on that painful needle of trying to explain to people why their lives were falling apart. I didn't have an explanation for that. And for Christ's sake, my life wasn't together. Then one day, this woman comes in. She's got malignancy everywhere. And I knew what she was going to ask me. Why am I dying? Now, that's not a question that's easy to answer. And one of the things that I realized again and again and again, and if I could communicate this, I will teach you this, to never ever think nor want the God you relate to, to think like a human being. Human logic, human cause and effect. The gods don't work that way. Heaven does not work according to human justice. That is something that you will live a lot better with if you absorb that reality, that heaven does not live according to human justice, but that divine justice and how it plays out and its timing is perfect. Now then, this woman shows up and I said to her, you know, you are coping with malignancies and da-da-da-da. And she said, well, I know that. And she said, but Carolyn, can't you tell me why? And there it was, the question I was dreading, and I wanted to pick her up and throw her out and say, why do I look like my life is so together that I could answer the mysteries of your life? I mean, yeah. And what happened was that some energy entered my body, and it pushed me aside in that moment. And... It was as if this energy said, I'm going to answer this question and you're going to pay attention. Not that you are necessarily in a negotiating position when this kind of phenomenon happens to you. This energy spoke to this woman using my vocal cords. And this energy said to her, all right, let's go back. And took her back through every trauma of her life that apparently had anything to do with the reason why. She was, in this day, malignant and dying. Now, this recall included the smallest prayers that she said. 
I'm talking tiny. Who recorded these prayers? What is this non-physical world that listens to us so intently? I couldn't believe this. So while this presence was answering her voice, this whole time, mind you, she thought she was talking to me. Where I was, I felt that I was about an inch high hovering inside my left ear. When this was over, I said to this force, as though I had any clout, look, let me make you a deal. Please don't let her know this is not me talking. And no sooner did I say that prayer than I found myself removing my hand from her leg with no memory of ever having reached out to touch her. And she never said, how did you know that? It was completely eclipsed. All she said to me was, oh, I can live with this and I can die with this now. And she got, I never saw her again. But I walked out of there and I sat in the open field behind this publishing company. And I said to myself, God, what is this mystery that we live? How do we reconcile this incredible journey that our lives are such mysteries, but you hear every prayer that we seem to live in such disclarity, but you're there at every moment. So I said, you win. What a joke. As if I ever had any, what was I going to do? Go ahead, God, get someone else, right? You know, yeah, go ahead. See how successful you'll be without me. Do you understand? I mean, I'll wake up, Mace, right? All right, hello. So that was the green light. And after that, the skill got better. The skill matured as I matured. That's the only way I can put it. And the skill got more and more sophisticated. I began to pick up more and more internal images of depth of a person's psychological life, I began to see us as Mandela's, as incredible tapestries of energy. I began to understand the way we're constructed very differently. And I began to see archetypal patterns. Eventually, I began to pick up what I would call our archetypal influences, what I now understand to be our contracts, the, what I refer to as our sacred contracts, the agreements we make before we incarnate, that we have archetypal connections. It's really quite rich and quite fascinating. Having said that, the next logical question is, what do I see when I do an evaluation on somebody? What do you look like to me? I'm going to take you in behind my eyes to show you the map, if you will. I guess the best way to imagine this is to do away with what you think I might be perceiving. And that's that the perception of energetic information, for me, is very non-theatrical. I don't see anything. I don't see visions. I don't see lots of colors. I don't have lots of sounds. I'm very non-audio, non-kinesthetic, I'm nothing. I'm, I, all I do is I've mastered the science of being able to interpret energetic information. That's all. And so when I do a reading on somebody, I wait for information to come to me that I know doesn't belong to me. Now, if I said to you, I want you to imagine your living room right now. 
And if I said to you, I have no idea what an imagination's like, tell me what that's like. What's it like to have a memory? I can't do that. What would you say to me? How would you describe a memory? Are you actually really seeing something or do you think you're seeing something? Or are you thinking it with such familiarity that you think you're seeing it? There's a crossroads, if you will, between thinking and seeing that is this place called knowing. And that's what I perceive when I do a reading. As if, if I said to you, perceive your living room. Now imagine that you could perceive my living room with the same fluency. The only difference is you would have no emotional feeling whatsoever for any of the little odds and ends that are all around the place because they're my sentimental objects, not yours. So you would view them completely impersonally. They would mean nothing to you. You'd see them with absolute clarity and you'd be able to say, oh, she's got a couch by the window and a chair by the fireplace. She's got a candlestick here. She's got a painting there. She likes the color fuchsia. She likes the color teal. And you have no feeling about it. Now, that's exactly what it's like when I pick up your energy and when I read your energy system. I get your information, and it comes to me somewhat in an orderly way because I want it to come in an orderly way. I've organized it so that I go after your tribal information first, and then I follow the, the chakras because that's logically how we grow and develop. So I, I look at us exactly the way we're constructed. So I follow our energy and I follow your memories the same way because the memories that are the longest running, longest lasting are the ones that go from your childhood and then I come into your present life. So I evaluate your energy in exactly a logical way that follows the way you grow and develop. The moment an impression becomes, I have a feeling response to it. I know that it's become contaminated. I know that I am responding to it as opposed to identifying it. My intention is always to be accurate versus to be right or wrong. I have no interest in right or wrong. I gave that nonsense up long ago. My scale is accuracy. So now when I teach, my intention is to instruct you to use this skill so that you have no need of me, but rather that you can utilize a perceptual system that helps you sense when you are losing power, why you are losing power, and what you're supposed to do about it. That's where we're going with this. My sense is that we are at an extraordinary turning point in human history. Now, I'm not the first to say that, and I won't be the last. But I am inclined to think that since the 1940s, since the nuclear age, our evolution has been on fast forward. And it's been on fast forward because we lack the spiritual maturity we should have had by now. So I think that what is occurring is that if you look at the uniting crisis point in all of our lives, that uniting crisis point is one in which again and again and again, 
we are brought back to evaluate and become conscious, that is the word we want to look at, of the management of our power. What kind of power? The power of our thoughts, the power of our emotions, the power that we manage through our system. All of a sudden, the shift is taking place so that we are changing from being homo sapiens, five sensory beings, to homo noeticus, multiple sensory beings. I actually think that we are now two species living on this planet simultaneously. And that the homo sapien is fundamentally a five sensory creature who interacts with reality based on five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, hearing. So, And what that means is that reality is in your concept of power as a sapien is that your notion of becoming empowered equals your ability to develop power so that you can control the outside world as it comes towards you. So that you can regulate the force with which the outside world comes towards you. And your first tools that you will use to regulate it will be money, be sexuality. You'll use some tool that's located below your waist. You'll use a physical tool to control physical power. Amazing, amazing stuff. That's, uh, that's part one. There's more to it and we won't miss anything. And she is just absolutely unbelievable. And if you really pick up on, on a lot of the stuff that was being said in terms of energy and healing and people feeling sick and her being able to tell what was wrong based on various energy levels in your body and understand. I mean, Nikola Tesla said it. If you understand that the world really does work on energy and frequency and vibration and understand that that's really what we are made of and you start to take control and understand, then your life will be exactly the way that you want it to be. We will finish up. Uh, Carolyn's unbelievable, and there's lots and lots and lots more uh, to listen to. And again, I want to thank everybody for, for stopping by. We will be back tomorrow. And again, I always ask everybody tonight before you shut her down, when you're sitting at the end of your bed, close your eyes and think of five things that you are really grateful for. And then it's time to go to bed. If you cannot fall asleep, then you continue to bring the images in your mind of what you are grateful for. You will be paid back. You will be rewarded. You will feel at peace.
Thanks again, everybody, for listening to Cosmic Habit Force Podcast, and we'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you and good night.